0: Our guest today, Brian Hoyland, joined the U.S. Army Military Police Corps after high school and served around the world until he was disabled due to injuries sustained during service. From there, he went back to school to obtain a master's degree in counseling psychology and started working as a psychotherapist with other combat veterans in the Department of Veterans Affairs. Brian then worked as a program director and clinical supervisor with criminal offenders for the prison system in Minnesota, and then went with a private company working with recently released offenders. But four months after starting that job, he suffered a major heart failure and almost died. It turned out Brian had been exposed to toxic chemicals while in the military, and that exposure developed into an autoimmune disease that in January of 2017 killed him for 10 minutes in a massive cardiac arrest. During that time, Brian experienced his NDE and a life-changing meeting with Jesus. Brian says this experience transformed him when he learned valuable lessons about himself, his life, his faith, and God. He's the author of From Sudden Death to Paradise. Brian Hoyland, welcome to NDE Radio. Thank you for having me, Lee. Well, it's good to have you, and I really enjoyed our conversation yesterday. I did too. Uh, Brian Brian you told me you were raised by your family uh as a presbyterian but you converted to the catholic church when you were 27 tell us what motivated you to make that change
1: uh, well i was a protestant not a not a presbyterian it was more of a non-denominational but kind of like a southern baptist uh oh, okay. church but um you know as as i grew older i i kind of got away from the faith a little bit you know in the military i was trying to to seek out a lot of different different avenues, um, mostly because if I'm look, gonna be really honest, it was I wanted to follow my own will. I wanted to be able to do things that that I wanted to do as a young man. And every time I tried to to find something else, I just I just didn't feel right. I didn't feel like like it was like it was open to the the true relationship that I did have with Jesus Christ. And I just kept getting drawn back. As I got older, I I started to look at the Catholic Church. Um, something that I was, you know, I, I have a grandfather who was an Assembly of God minister, so you know they're not very not very keen on the Catholic faith. So I was I was really uh, taught a lot of derogative things about the Catholic Church, but it was never what the Catholic Church really taught. It was more of what. What other people had told me. So when I started to see the the actual teachings of the Catholic Church, it really appealed to me. It opened me up to to a lot of the truths of the faith that have have were sometimes lost in what I had been raised in. So that that really appealed to me, and I I found that it had just a wealth of information that really brought me a lot closer to to God. But you know, as a Catholic, even I still wasn't wasn't perfect. I I didn't go to mass all the time. You know, I, I. I I hate to have to confess all my sins to everybody here, but, you know, I just, I just was a lukewarm Christian, you know, and I I really feel like, you know, I sometimes thought I was doing really well, but I, I just realized when I died and went to heaven that I really wasn't doing as well as I had given myself credit for.
0: Sure. And at the same time, I guess you were, uh, you'd risen to a 32nd degree Freemason as well. Unfortunately. Uh, well, I was going to say did you did you feel a conflict about doing both
1: yeah, you know when i was when I was there i I really joined up because you know when I was in the military, a lot of guys were were masons so and they were good guys guys i I really have strong relationships with still mm-hmm. um but but the thing it just appealed to me because that seemed like a a you know a, a men's club that you could just be with a bunch of other guys and and relate about things and you know do some good service. It didn't I didn't realize the nefariousness of it um, until I got into it, and then it really got opened my eyes to just how evil the the organization is at the top of it. You know, not the the guys who are on the, the lower levels; they are really good guys, but they're kept in the dark. And it's you know the writings even say that that's intentionally done because they don't deserve to have the the expanded light of the higher degrees. Um, but you know, it's it's it was something that I even. But they would do certain prayers at the end of, of some of their, their meetings. And, you know, I always remember saying, you know, Jesus, I pray to you and only to you, not to any of these other, other gods that people are praying to, because I just felt like, the, you know, it must've been the Holy spirit protecting me to, to make sure that I, I did that, but I did have a feeling of discomfort while I was in there. Yeah.
0: Toxic chemicals, the toxic chemicals you encountered in the army triggered that autoimmune disease that damaged your heart. And you sent me the photos. My gosh, your heart was a total mess. Yeah, it sure was. Well, <laughs> what a disaster. Yeah. Tell us about how that finally hit you in 2016 and then 2017.
1: Yeah, well, when I was in the military, I was in extremely good shape. And, you know, I, I started to see a decline, um, you know, every year after the military. But around 2016, I, I had started probably feeling really fatigued. And, you know, a lot of chronic pain for several years prior to that but i just kept pushing it off and, and trying to to muscle through everything my doctor said you know you're you're getting older you you just gotta you know slow down a little bit and of course i was only 42 so i i honestly don't think that's getting older <laughs> but <laughs> no i guess you know? not <laughs> no i so i i but i you know i what was i gonna know i we did the tests and I, every time i had a physical everything checked out fine my heart looked fine on all the on all the scans that they were doing, but, you know, they never did anything to actually look interiorly at the heart, like no PET scans, you know, nothing like that. So, um, 2016 though, I went into heart failure and it was, it was pretty drastic. I, I started projectile vomiting, which, you know, I didn't realize is a real thing. I thought, you know, people would just forcefully vomit, but this, it was going across the room. It was forceful and it was just, in, in intensely painful, but my heart was beating so fast that I, I couldn't see. it. Every time I tried to stand up, I would get dizzy and fall down, passed out a couple of times. But I I was I was thinking it was, you know, food poisoning or something like that. I didn't I didn't think I was having a heart attack because I did believe my heart was in good shape. Um, you know, I ran marathons, weightlifted, I I was in excellent shape even even despite all those the the disability catching up to me. Um, finally, in the morning after that, that particular night, I ended up crawling down the stairs and had my uh, children finally call the, uh, the police and an ambulance because I started to lose my vision. It was going out and I was starting to pass out and I knew that I wouldn't be able to, to hang on much longer. And it was more serious than, than food poisoning. And of course, when the ambulance got there, they took my vitals and they said my heart rate was about 300 beats per minute and wow. they needed to immediately shock me to, to bring that heart rate down. So they did that and, you know, they, they cut my shirt off and, you know, put the paddles on and shocked me. And that actually felt good. That was the only time I've been shy. I was shocked several times after that. That one felt good because it brought me down so quickly. And I, I really think I was close to having a massive heart attack on that one. And then they wheeled me out. The last thing I remember is they were wheeling me out of the house. Was seeing my children. You know, I, I they had they were standing in the hallway, and I was getting wheeled out. My wife was not home at the time, so I, I didn't even know who was going to be with them after they pulled me out. And I just don't remember anything else. Apparently, I was still conscious and talking for several hours after that, but I don't remember a thing from from the rest of that that episode. So that was, you know, I woke up. I think that happened Saturday afternoon and then on the Sunday evening I woke up. They had intubated me. Um, you know, they told my wife that they thought I was going to die and wanted to have have her give them the, the orders if you know she need they needed to to stop stop life saving procedures. And um she said no, he wants to to be to be kept alive for as you know as long as, as he's his body's still going. Mm-hmm. So I did wake up though and they thought I'd be a vegetable. And I started talking right away. And, you know, I, it was somewhat incoherent. I remember that I, I was frustrated because I couldn't get what I wanted to say out. I couldn't ask the questions I wanted to ask because my mind was still okay, but my mouth wasn't working properly. And, you know, other things were, were still off. It took a couple of hours before I was able to, to really start to have a, a decent conversation. And then, you know, I just kept improving that whole week. And I'd only stayed in the hospital for a week at that one.
0: But then you were back in the hospital because you said at one point you were, uh, I guess, just before you uh, had your NDE, you were praying to a a crucifix on the wall? Yes. When I had
1: that NDE, I I was brought into St. Joseph's Hospital. It's a hospital that's in in St. Paul, Minnesota. And, you know, I went from the ER bed. They had me in the ER for about six hours seven hours, somewhere around there. And then they brought me up to the ICU. They thought that they had me stabilized enough that they could bring me up. And as soon as they transferred me from the the ER bed to the ICU bed, I went back into serious uh, arrhythmia, ventricular tachycardia. And they started to have the crash team come in. But when I was in that that ICU bed, I, I couldn't move. They had me strapped down so that way they could administer shocks when they needed to. And um that my face was facing right towards this crucifix yeah. and you know it was it was wonderful because it's hard to pray when you're that de- distracted and you know a lot of people think they'll wait till their deathbed and and then they'll they'll make a conversion it I'd advise not to because you got you know 20 people sitting in this little room and they're asking a lot of questions they're you know it's really distracting plus all the fear that you have that's that's going on and this was just a beacon of hope for me that, you know here's here i am in a hospital you don't expect to see that these days you know even if it does have the name of a of a saint on <laughs> on the hospital you you just don't expect to see it and it was staring me right in the face and almost as if if it was looking over me and you know i i felt jesus presence with me the entire time it wasn't wasn't like i was i felt alone it was just hard to pray because of all the fear you know i kind of feel like like the disciples when they're in the boat and that big storm came and Jesus is sleeping you know it's you kind of feel that way you feel like we're here in this earth and and we're we're alone but you know we got all these waves crashing around us it's terrifying
0: yeah and then i guess you died for 10 minutes yeah when i started to realize
1: this was it i mean i knew when i was in the er this one felt a little different there was something that just was different with this this particular time going to the hospital and i'd been there 11 times before that so i mean ambulances came got me and it was a regular regular occurrence but this one was just different i felt like my body was draining of all of its energy and of all of its fight. And, you know, I'm I'm a guy who's never been afraid to stand up for things and fight for what I thought was right. But this time I was ready to give up. It was too much. I, I just felt like I was ready to go. And I started to not want to talk to the doctors. They were asking me a lot of questions over and again. And, you know, it was like, what is your name? And what is your address? How many kids do you have? Things that they had already asked me and they already knew so I realized they were just trying to keep me with them, keep me present. And I told them I didn't want to talk anymore. It took all of my my strength to be able to get those words out. Probably sounded terrible cuz it was really drawn out and guttural and it was just very difficult to speak and I I just wanted to lay back and pray and die. And you know, I realized that there was nothing I could do. I wasn't strong enough to fight through this one and I needed to just trust in him and So that's what I did. I just laid back and, you know, I just started praying. I told God I was ready to die. And that's when it happened. I I died and I could feel my body have like a shake and a pop, like my soul just burst forth from my body. And when that happened, I was in this dark tunnel and in that dark tunnel, I was looking into this dark void. And this void was like looking into outer space it was this huge expanse of space and it was all dark, but it didn't have stars or anything, you know, any kind of celestial things that we see. in when we look at outer space, it was just blackness and it was empty, but I felt this immense love, like this powerful love just rushing over me. It was the same love that I could feel in that hospital room when I was praying with Jesus, but it was magnified and I could also tell that, you know, there was there was not an audible voice. There was no sound at all. All my sound just cut off. As soon as I died, that chaos in the hospital room was gone. I had no more hearing. It was it was completely silent. But I could hear feel something intellectually I- impacting my mind, saying, you know, hey, you're you're okay. This is wonderful. You feel all this love. And it was making me feel very content and wanting me to to be drawn into that dark void, but it was, it was also kind of like a slippery feeling, something that, that when, when you want to choose to do something, you know, that it's wrong, you know, that feeling you get, and you know, your conscience is telling you not to do it. That's the feeling that I was getting. And, and yet I knew that this love was real and it wasn't coming from the darkness. So I, I did a, a thought and it wasn't a simple thought as it comes out, but it was, I said, this can't be it, but it was way more in depth than that. My intelligence had skyrocketed. I was I was far more intelligent than I am now. Unfortunately, that didn't come back with me. But this 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 conversation was about everything that I knew was true. When I was dying, I could feel Jesus with me. And there were points in my whole life that I felt him. And it was like hindsight was now hitting me. Like I knew that god is real. And where was he? You know, I, I knew that, that that there was more than just this love and simply enjoying existence of of being in this dark void and just feeling love. That wasn't what there was. There was something more to it. And as soon as I had that thought, I could realize that I was able to see in all directions. And it wasn't it wasn't like I was seeing with with my eyes. It was more of a intellectual seeing the like my soul was actually having having its interaction with where the environment that i was in and and i could see in all these directions and i could see that there was a light behind me i still saw the dark void in front of me but i could see behind me and see that there was this light and it was beautiful magnificent and it was where the the light was emanating from the, or the love was emanating from this light and so i i turned around and this was really important because I made an actual turn. Now, I could see in all the directions. So when I turned, I could still see the dark void behind me. But it was an act of motion on my part. I turned towards this light. And when I looked at the light straight on, I said, I want to be with the light. And boom, I was there. It was so fast. And what's interesting about that is I didn't feel any inertia. I didn't didn't feel wind on my face or any kind of experience that would have given me the impression that I had actually traveled as quickly as I had, so I, I I moved very quickly. However, I could also remember every single step that I took to get there. So this was incredible that that time was was totally distorted as we know it here on Earth. This this was a different different kind of level of time experience. But as I'm standing before this light. I knew it was God. I, I knew right away when I saw it, that it was God. That's why I made that turn as I wanted to be with God. But standing before him, I was in awe. Like every part of my being was bowing down to God. Yet I didn't have a body that I could see. So I didn't feel like I was actually bowing down to him, but it was my soul just giving itself completely to him. I didn't feel like Afraid of him at all? I didn't feel that there was any kind of of malice or or supremacy of him. It was simply knowing my place compared to him. I I was totally in love with him. This was an, an act of love, not of of fear. That awe that I had was just overwhelming love that I could get from him. But it was me wanting to love him as well. And so I'm looking at the light, and I, I really couldn't believe I could stare at this light. It, it was brighter than anything I've ever seen or could even imagine. So I, I'm staring at it. And I, I even said it. I can't believe this doesn't hurt my eyes. You know, I'm looking. I'm looking to the left, and I'm looking to the right, and I'm looking up, and I'm looking down. I'm I'm able to see in all these directions, and I could keep seeing. What was really kind of cool about this was that my vision. While I was traveling with my vision to try to see the end of where the light was over here, I could still see where I was standing and see what I was looking at in front of me, and I could see to the other direction as I was doing it as well. But I could also watch my vision grow. So as it, as I was getting each you know mile or whatever distance I was going at a time, I could see that mile and keep watching it as it was traveling in, in its in its progression. It was amazing to see, to actually just play with this, this ability that I had, you know, I, I have a lot of suspicions about what heaven will be like when we really get to enjoy it in its fullness. I think that it's, it's going to be something that we get to intellectually see everything that God brought into being, and we get to enjoy that for the rest of eternity. I mean, I'd like to see what Pluto looks like. That's kind of an interesting thing, you know, some of these other galaxies, it's not an impossibility. Everything's possible there because nothing is limited to us. And particularly with our intelligence, my, my intelligence, you know, that was the the most incredible thing. It was like, God didn't hide anything from me, you know, and that, that to me was really, really impressive how humble he is that, you know, he's so much more powerful than I was, but yet he was willing to share all this with me. Mm. and, so I, I'm staring at the light and I, I said, well, I, I love this light. I want to be with the light. And I heard him say, and it wasn't odd again. There was no audible, nothing audible the entire time I was there. So when I say that I hear something, it's intellectually, it's, it's in my mind. But he said, you can come in. And of course, you know, of course, I'm going to go in. That was that was a great invite. I wanted to go in anyway. And so I started to go into the light and it felt like he was permeating into my soul. Like this light was absolutely emanating its love straight into my soul. And when I was in this light, it, it felt like I was a, a straw. You know, when you drink through a straw, the, the fluid comes from, from the bottom of the cup, goes into your mouth, never leaves the straw empty though. It's always replenishing it and with more fullness because you're getting more into, into yourself. That's what it felt like to me. And Yet that light was, or that love was still going out of me back, back into, to heaven. But that fullness never left me. In fact, it kept growing. So this was something that was, was true throughout my experience there in heaven is that that love feeling that I was getting continued to grow the entire time I was in heaven. And, you know, I, I, I liken it to the fact that, that his, all of his graces are infinite. So I would assume for all of eternity, that love is going to continue to grow as we see more aspects of God and learn more about him, that we're going to continue to feel that replenishing of love. It's never going to be dull. It's going to be like an exciting moment the entire time we're in eternity. But as I'm going through this light, and it it could have been a, a long time. It sure felt like a long time, far longer than it took me to get to the light. As I'm walking through it. So I'm not sure how long I was going through this light. I was really just taking it all in. And then I said, I want to see Jesus. You know, I made this active active choice that I want to see Jesus. I knew he was there. I could feel him, but I I wanted to see him now. I, I, I was ready to see Jesus. And as soon as I said that, the light opened up and I was in this great, huge room, much bigger than that dark void was. And I could see a I don't know how many beings they were. I have never seen anything so much. You know, it was like you could take all the the grains of sand on a beach and that wasn't as many beings as there were in this room. Mm. So trillions. But I was looking at these beings and they were all glimmering with light. Beautiful. Just absolutely shimmering with this beautiful light. But there was one in the in the middle that was, it was Jesus. I mean, my intelligence, like I said, was, was far exceeding what it is now. There was nothing that needed to explain to me that this was Jesus. I I just knew it was, but all these other beings that were reflecting that light were, you know, I, I, I didn't ask. I kind of wish I would have, I think I knew it at the time. It feels right to me, but it feels like they were reflecting that light off of Jesus, that love. And it looked as if it was probably, the amount of grace that they had, that's the reflection that they were were having as they were staring at Jesus as well. And so when I'm staring at Jesus, I said, I want to see your face. And, I, you know, I don't even know why I said that, but it was something that felt really strong to me. Like I wanted to see his face, but as his face came together, I could see it. And it went from that shimmering light that he was, to actually have showing me uh, his human form of his face, but what's interesting about this is that as I was seeing his face, I wasn't able to lay down the memory in my brain or whatever I had at the time. So my soul wasn't able to to retain that. And as I was actually seeing his face, I was forgetting what it looked like each image as it was coming in. Kind of like you know, you ever seen those little books where you do that flip and it has one drawing on the front and then it looks like it's moving or something and you know, as you oh, sure. through all the pages. Yeah. Huh. That's what it was like. It was, it was, like every time one of the images went in, it was just onto the next one. So I didn't huh. have that, but what I did remember was this absolute brilliance of light from his face, which was very much the light I saw of, of God himself. So that's, that was the, uh, that was what the image was. So I, 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 you know, I should back up too, cause I, I want to talk about the atmosphere. I, I didn't say that um, the atmosphere in heaven was like a pinkish green, but not like the colors that we have here on earth. And it was the love of, of the light and Jesus that. So I believe it was the Holy spirit. I there, I felt very strongly that it was the Holy spirit, but it was, it was alive and it was what was permeating into me as, as I was feeling that love. Mm-hmm. And so this this atmosphere, it was almost like the the lifeblood of heaven. And it was circulating between all of us. And everybody who was there was communicating. And this light was what was keeping us all connected, or this uh this atmospheric light, I, I guess if you want to call it. But mm. so th- that was that was really important too. Um, but as I'm looking at Jesus' face and it's this brilliant, bright light, I was just in awe. And that's when we were. Discussing all my my sins and my the good works that I have done, so it was a it was a what they call a life review. And as we were going through it, you know, I was seeing a lot of things that I had done, and there were a lot of things that I was really proud that I had done that weren't such a a great thing because I had done them for my own self, not for the glory of God. I, I did do them to a degree because I wanted to be a good good person, and you know, I wanted to show love to other people, but but more because I held that as being a good value for a human being. And I I wanted to hold myself accountable to that more than just simply doing it for God, you know, kind of like I want to pat myself on the back or get credit from somebody else for doing something good. It wasn't simply for doing it for God. And, and so that, that brought some of those things down. And I was kind of shocked by that. Um, There were a lot of, of things that I had done that, you know, I had, I had confessed for, I was really repentant over a lot of things. I mean, before in the hospital room, I was repenting for a lot of things that I had done. And, you know, I, am glad I did. Um, but there were things that I could have done that I didn't do that were really, were really hurtful to Jesus. And, you know, I, I think that sometimes as human beings, we, we are afraid to stand up for, for things, particularly faith things that we should do, just, just out of fear of what the world's going to do to us, or we don't want to throw it down somebody else's throat. But in reality, when we're not doing that, we're not sharing the love of Christ. We don't have to force love down people's throat. It's a, it's an easy thing to share if we do it with love. But I think that it holds us back because we always second guess ourselves. And that was something that, that really did impact Jesus is that I did hold myself back because of, of concerns that I had that it, that really weren't relevant. And so as we reviewed all those things, I I remembered that I had prayed this prayer, you know, this, this was a strong, strong memory for me. And, you know, I could see, I could, I should explain, I could see all of my, my memories, all of the experiences I had in life at the same time. It wasn't confusing or, or distracting. It was as if all of my memories were laid out there. And, of course, I had that high intelligence, so I was able to, to to shuffle through these things with ease. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a, a a timeline, you know, like we we think about in you know human life. It wasn't on that kind of a continuum where you know here you're born and then you have kindergarten and you have middle school and high school and wedding and all that. It wasn't like that. It was just all there, and I could pull from one or the other, and I could look at it or I could look at them all at once. But whatever I focused on was the one that really became impressed into my my memory that I was able to take back. And so this this prayer that I had prayed when I was 6, my great grandmother had died and it was the first funeral that I remembered ever going to and having a real impact on me, you know. And I remember my all my my aunts and my uncles were all were all crying deeply about about losing her and all of us were were sad because she was just such a a, a connecting force for all of us in the family. She was just a really strong person, and so I I looked at that and I I just didn't want to have anybody feel that way about my death. And so I remember that night I was praying and I said, God, let me have a long life. I don't want to have people sad over me dying. And and it was really heartfelt. I mean, I I, I even think about it now. I'd never thought about it my the rest of my life, but there it really hit me. And I think about it now is how how tender God was to me because I did get that feeling like my prayer was answered and I was able to go to sleep and, you know, went on with it. But, but it was there that Jesus said, I remember that prayer and the answer is still yes. So it was, it was really impactful to, to have him, you know, acknowledge that, that, that prayer was answered and that he was going to let me have this chance to go back. And when, when he said that, he says, but why would you want to go back? And it wasn't a question of, of like, making me make a choice between the, between the two. It was, it was actually asking me what would be the reason for me to go back. And, you know, I tried to come up with a lot of reasons. My family needed me, all these things that I could do, these good things. And, but all that stuff, even with my family, it wasn't, it, God let me know that, that he loves them more than I love them which I I knew was true. I mean, he loves me so much and he loves you so much. He loves everybody so much that there is no human being that can compare to that. And his, his gentle care is just the same for all of us. And, you know, I, I really was giving myself too much credit thinking that I would be able to go back and get them to heaven, you know, that I would somehow have this ability. Like I'm going to have some impact on that's for sure, but only with him. I, I can't do this on my own. I'm, I clearly failed to do that in the beginning, you know, otherwise I would have not thought of that as, as a reason to go back. So I, I realized I had to have something more, and that's what he was looking for. And as I searched, why would I want to go back? Because heaven is, is clearly superior to being here on earth. On earth, we have a lot of suffering we have to go through. And what made that all worthwhile was to be able to go back and do more for him. That I wanted to go back and do something that would, would show love to God and please him. Because the love that I was feeling made all the suffering worthwhile. I didn't care about my death. I, I remembered it clearly. It just happened, you know, of course, so it was easy to remember it. But I remembered that all that pain that I was going through, it was actually rewarded in heaven. In heaven, he filled all those broken places with his love to such a degree that they were all healed. I, I don't know that I could have felt that same intense love if I hadn't experienced something to compare it with. And that suffering really brought a connection to, to Jesus that was stronger than, than all the good things that had happened in my life. So that that was really strong for me. And I, I realized I wanted to do more for him just out of pure love for him, not to gain any extra crowns or glories in heaven. I didn't care about that at this point. His love was enough for me. My glass was completely full. I was, I was content with that. And, you know, I, I would have, I would have stayed in a, in a a sewer system for all of eternity had I been able to feel his, his, that kind of love. So I didn't need anything more. I just wanted to go back for him to be able to, to, you know, I, I remember as I, I came back, you know I, I started to read the Bible a lot more and really get into my faith. and you know there's there's a verse about how God the how heaven rejoices more over one repentant sinner than over ninety nine people who don't need to repent. And that's what I really wanted to do was that same kind of idea. I, in heaven, I simply wanted to go back and help somebody in some way to be an instrument that God used to help change someone's life. So they could experience this, and that's what he said was good. He said, "Yes, that's it." And then we we continued to talk, and he put it into my mind that I needed to pray more. That my life couldn't be just simply saying, you know, a few prayers or praying just a little bit every day. You know, I had to pray all day every day, and not just sitting down on my knees and praying, but actually living out prayer. Like When I do something good for people, I have to remember, put it into proper order. God first. I'm doing this for God. And because of God, my love for God, and how much he loves this other person, that's why I'm doing this good deed for this person, this good work for them. That everything that we do in the proper order can be a benefit to, to, to another, and that's how we can love our neighbor. So I, I realized I had to pray more. I, I had to do more with, with my life than simply trying to trying to get through it to get some kind of glory for myself. And that's when he also said that I had to, to learn how to suffer joyfully. Now he I already kind of talked about it a little bit about how he fills us with with that love in those broken places. So there is a reward, there's a payoff for for suffering. But we get we get to actually apply our suffering to to his passion. We get to connect it to that. And and that brings power to what we go through. Our our suffering isn't in vain. Our suffering has real redemptive power. And when you, we, we suffer and we suffer with, with acceptance, we take whatever comes our way and not complaining about it. That's when we can learn to suffer joyfully. When we are able to, to take on that suffering and, and to do it joyfully, we, we can live our lives without fear. And that's, that's a really important part of it, because fear is what holds us back from accepting suffering. It keeps us connected to the world as opposed to connected to God. And I look at life now as, you know, I can't wait to die. To, to die is a, is a good thing. People often ask me, oh, why, why did you come back? You know, I would have, st- when you see how much God loves you, you're willing to do whatever, even sacrificing time in heaven to come back to suffer here on earth. It's worth it if I can if I can do something that shows God that I love him. And so the other thing that he told me was to share his love. That's a lot easier said than done, you know. Sometimes people rub us the wrong way. It's not like we we enjoy being around every type of person, but people that I want to avoid the most, those are the ones that I can actually show the most love to. I can actually do more for those people, particularly if I just swallow my own pride and say, you know what, just let them talk and let them let them have their 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 way in certain things. You know, somebody wants to order something from menu and. Whatever, I, what do I care what I eat? It's, in heaven, I get to have whatever I want. So I can endure the inner inconvenience here on earth. It makes somebody else happy for that moment. I don't need to be a roadblock for them. So there's a lot of ways we can share love, but I, w- I really want to be able to share just how m- impactful God's love is to us. Now I had to go back the exact same way that I had came in and mm-hmm. As I was going back, that was the only time I felt any kind of pain in heaven. The only time I felt really anything, I didn't feel hungry or cold or thirsty or hot. I didn't feel any physical sensations when I was in heaven. But when I was leaving the presence of Jesus, I did feel like a, a pain in my soul. Like it, my my soul wanted to remain with Jesus, so it took active part of my will to go back and follow what what God wanted me to follow. And as I got got through the light and came to where my tunnel was, I could see into my hospital room and it wasn't a dark void any longer at the end of this this tunnel. It was now my hospital room and I could see my body laying there and I could see all the doctors and nurses and what they were doing. And so as I traveled back, it seemed like I traveled back a lot slower than I did on the way to see God, right? it was a much more drawn out process probably because I didn't want to really go back to it, but I also did. So I, as I got back to it, it, it's as if I snapped into my body and I came back into my body and it kind of felt like I came from the backside of my, Mm -hmm. of my head.
0: Brian. Yeah. uh, I think you said at one point that there were, you saw several tunnels, but you knew yours was yours.
1: Yeah, you know that's one of the things that I I really feel strongly like I did see several tunnels, but I I was only fixated on my own. I I was I didn't need to have anybody tell me which one was mine. So I hmm. that's kind of a blur to me. So but so it, the implication I is like
0: yeah, you know, the implication is that we all have our own say wormhole to heaven, if you will, our own our it's own uh, path. Like
1: yeah, it kind of seemed like it yeah like a little connection to to god and you know i i think that that's really i feel really strongly that 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 is what it is um you know because there was there was certainly a vast array of of space between between my little tunnel and you know all the other immensity of of where i was at in heaven because mm-hmm. that light like i said went in all those different directions so certainly there was something more to it and I thought I saw a bunch of tunnels, but you know, I, I don't want to put that out there as that's the exact thing because you know I, I didn't have be able to retain the the full the full intelligence that I had there. So sure. But yeah, you know, as I snapped back into my into my body, they were taking off the um, as I was coming back, I'm not sure at what point now, but they took off this this green machine. I guess it's called the Lucas machine where they do CPR while you're while you're out. <clears throat> they took that off, and i don't know if they took it off. They never told me anything about it why they took it off i i don't know if they were going to call it at that point and you know say that we lost them or or whatever it sure looked like everybody's faces had they had they had probably faced a, a real reality that they weren't going to bring me back because as i as I came to, I immediately gasped out, "Did I die?" to the doctor who was standing right <laughs> over my face?" And he's looking at me at this look and he had to come a little bit closer. And as he got closer, I'm like, did I die? You know, and I don't know why I needed to have that as, you know, probably because as, as a guy who really related more to science than to faith, I, I didn't believe in NDEs. So I having just experienced one was a real shock for somebody who thought that this was, you know, a lot of neurochemicals impacting the brain. What, what really impressed me was I never lost consciousness. So I went from dying to dead. I remember that exact moment of dying in the process that I went through. I remember every experience I had in heaven, then coming back and popping back into my body without ever losing conscious thought. So to me, that was clear that, you know, you don't just grow in intelligence while you're dead and then immediately go back to the same pathetic level of intelligence that I had prior to dying, losing all that immense intelligence that I had when I was with God. You just don't have that based on neurochemicals. You know, it would have retained something. So I was really impressed with that. And I wanted to hear it from the doctor. Yeah, you just died. So he confirmed that for me. And, you know, he had this look on his face that I was not going to be coming back and was in total shock that I just popped forward and said that to him.
0: When you say you, you didn't lose consciousness at any point, do you think there was a point at which the brain leaves off and the soul takes over and that it's just a very smooth transition?
1: That's a good question. I, I do think that because while I was in heaven, I didn't have any any kind of emotional feelings. I, I, I felt love, but it was much different than what we consider love. You know, our loves come, come here on earth with attachments, with With certain price tag, you know, and and I didn't feel anger, I didn't feel sorrow, I didn't feel any of those other kind of emotions. So the brain clearly was dead. There was, you know, in order for those those things to go, because that's a physical feature, that's a part of our physical body. So that that was dead. Um. So I I do believe that. Yeah. Hmm.
0: I wonder if the soul is always at least a little bit in control of our consciousness or whether it just kind of hangs back in the background while our brain is trying to keep the saber tooth tiger from eating us or, yeah, you know, or this or the stock market from crashing or whatever it is we tend to be thinking I, about in the day-to-day life.
1: Yeah. I, I think our fallen nature has a, a strong impact on our soul. It's, you know, it, it's, it's a, like a fight between our physical desires and our spiritual desires. And, you know, I I could definitely say that the, the spiritual desire is is there. I still feel it now. <clears throat> and I'm able to now, in a much stronger way, overcome those physical
0: attachments. Yeah. So when you got back, who was the first person you told about what you'd seen?
1: I told some of the nurses because, you know, they had heard that something amazing had happened. I was really impressed with it. I was in a more of like a glow for that whole week that I was in ICU. Cause I had to stay in the ICU for a whole week and it was easy. It was the easiest time I'd had. so I had a lot of joy. I was, I was smiling all the time. So the nurses were asking me questions, but I asked the charge nurse right away. I'm like, you know, you were standing there. What were you doing at that point? And I was pointing out all the different things because she was, she was pretty cool. She was all over the place, you know, just like a, a busy bee, just running over telling other nurses what to do. She was, was in control of things. And so she, she got the word out I think because a lot of other nurses who weren't even on that floor came up to talk to me so I was sharing it with the different nurses at the time <clears throat> but then when I when I got out I told my my family about it and my one of my sons was a, absolutely intrigued by it because you know he he was he's always been my little buddy you know uh-huh. we just we get along we like the same thing so it's real easy for for us to hang out and so he's always was following me around, you know, he was kind of my shadow. And, and yet when I got sick, he took care of me like so gently. I mean, he was so, so observant of all my needs and just cared for me in such a way that was, was beyond what a normal kid would do. And when I came back and I told him, you know, I said all this stuff that I had I had experienced and, you know, I, I, I told him that, you know, it was, it was hard to come back. Because, you know, how much love that I felt there and I didn't have any pain, I didn't have any of that. So I was trying to explain to him that I was no longer afraid. But he looked at me and he said, Dad, next time you die, don't come back. And I was kind of, I was kind of shocked to hear that from this really? the kid who I thought loved me the most, right? <laughs> and he, I said, why would you say that? And he said, I don't want you to suffer anymore. You know, so it was, a, it was a pure self-giving of this, this kid. And I, I told him, I said, son, I don't suffer anymore. My, God took my suffering away. He made it so that I realize how wonderful it can be just to, to, to take whatever God gives us. Because he gives us a lot of good things in life. And sometimes when we're sitting there worrying about what we're suffering or the, the bad experience that usually we've caused for ourselves, we miss that good thing that God is giving to us you know, because we're focused over here on the negative.
0: How old is your son when you uh, told him?
1: He was 11 at the time.
0: Wow. That's neat. Jesus reaffirmed that you were given a long life, and yet your doctor said you might have 10 years. I would myself go with what Jesus had to say about it, but did your family worry less on account of what Jesus told you?
1: Some do, some don't. I think my parents are completely convinced. They think that this, you know, my mom was always telling me how she was expecting a miracle to happen. I, you know, I kind of, in the back of my mind was hoping that this miracle would be, he was going to you know, cure my heart that I had. I didn't, I didn't really think I'd have to go through an actual heart transplant. And, you know, a couple, it took a couple more years before I could get to that heart transplant. So I had to endure quite a bit to get there. Um, but, you know, the, the, the miracle that, that they were expecting was, was, similar to what I was expecting, just this instant cure, like this, this actual thing that we could see in, in one span of time, mm-hmm. but, but it didn't really work out that way, it, it, but it, it didn't in in fact cause you saw my heart, that heart was <laughs> inoperable. The doctors, when yeah. they took it out, they said they didn't have a clue that it was as bad as what it was. And, you know, that's probably because I believe God had had my heart in his hand. He was actually keeping me alive because before I got my heart transplant, they kept saying, well, you know, we had a heart come in but, you know, or a call for a heart but we we turned it down because we didn't think it was going to be, you know, the perfect fit for you. And the like the day that that I I ended up getting the call, they had told me that morning at my appointment. We had another one but we had to turn it down. I said, "Don't turn down the next one. I'm not going to make it." I I knew I was going to die soon. I and within a within a couple of days.
0: This was uh 2 years later, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, 2 years later. Yeah. And, and I ended up getting the call. I went home and, or to this, I was like a hospice care. So I I went to this, this place I was staying and I, I told my mom, she was taking care of me at the time. And I, uh, I told her, I said, I'm going to take a nap. And, you know, if I don't wake up, I love you and said all that kind of stuff to her. And I went to sleep and I woke up to that call and it was amazing to get the call. Hey, Brian, we got, a, we got a heart for you. This one's a good one. We need you to come in right now. Wow! And so I got the heart.
0: Uh, one thing that uh, you and I talked about yesterday that I don't think you mentioned, or or just maybe just briefly, was the uh, smile Jesus had and wow. how it stayed with you through your entire life review. And uh, you couldn't remember his face that well, but you did remember his smile.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was a, and it's an intellectual, like a lot of the things that I had were intellectual, you know, but so his, his smile that even the memory of it, I can't see what his smile looked like, but I have a feeling, the intellectual feeling of what it is. Like He imprinted this on my soul. I, I know what his smile felt like and, and how wonderful it was, but it was healing because as I was going through my life review, I was seeing things that I had done in my life and how it hurt him during his passion. You know, this this sin here was causing this pain at this point in his during his passion. So I was seeing how I was actually impacting him and how he suffered for me. And yet here he was smiling at me. There was no hatred for me. There was no malice. There was no anger. There wasn't even a sense of him being miffed at me. It was forgiveness. I was sorry. I was upset about what I had done. And I think that was enough for him. The fact that I was able to recognize what I had done wrong and that I was sorry for it. I had no longer had any attachments to those sins that I had once had. And I, I think that's the, that's the key is that, you know, that conversion of heart. That, that's what he was after. And his smile was so reinforcing, but yet healing as well.
0: In a way, it tells us how important it is for us to smile when yeah, we're dealing I, with people. That it's like a hug almost without physical contact. It's a way of expressing something compassionate. Yeah. I want to uh, ask you something else. You had said at one point that all of history was like just a little dot. Yeah. And you could look into it at any point. I was wondering if you remember ever looking to see Jesus suffering during his lifetime.
1: Well, I did see his suffering during um, my life review but like I said, I could see everything that happened. So I I mean, I could probably have saw your life. Of course, I didn't know you. So I, I wasn't looking at your life. I could see everything that God brought into being. So I, I know I was able to see those things and I was able to, but but I was only able to retain what he allowed me to retain. So everything that I I brought back, the other memories are kind of a blur. So, Mm -hmm. you know, they kind of get mixed into what, you know, what have I read after I've come back and, You know, what did I have for my thoughts prior to it? All that kind of stuff kind of gets jumbled together. So I, I try to be really careful about what I, what I talk about, because like, even with my, with my book, I just wrote down from my journal, you know, what I experienced. I didn't try to elaborate on things just because I wanted to keep it more pure. But Mm -hmm. as I've, I've started to tell my story and people have asked questions, it has expanded my understanding of what I've seen because you know as as I was going through it, I just kind of was going through it as, as a continuum, like a timeline. And you know, I, I often have had people ask me questions, and you asked me a few today that have brought further enlightenment to me about what I experienced because you you can go back to my memory. I have a real strong remembrance of what I experienced and those things that I did experience I focused on, those were what what I can retain. And that's why, you know, I, I really think that it's the, the biggest part of my message is my whole, my whole viewpoint in heaven was focused on Jesus. Everything that I was doing was in line to going to Jesus and staring at Jesus. Even when I could see all those other beings that were there and could see what they look like. People asked me, well, did you see angels? Did you see this? Yeah, I think so. But I was so <laughs> focused on Jesus. None of that other stuff mattered to me. And it wasn't like I just had no love for those, those other beings. I did. I loved everybody. But this, this love that i had for jesus was so much stronger and so much more pure and so was it for everybody else
0: the three things he told you pray more suffer joyfully and share his love with the world do you feel that you're doing that more now that you're back
1: i definitely am doing it more than i was before not doing it as much as i would like to i i think that as as a human being we we have so much room to grow you know i when I was in heaven, it was easy. There were no temptations, you know, so it wasn't, it wasn't hard to to just love God and to just have love for everybody else. But, you know, here on earth, people will, will do things to you that make it really difficult to, to see Jesus in them when, you know, especially when they're yelling <laughs> very hateful things, you know, and, yeah, you know, yeah. I just try not to watch the news because the news can be a, a, a real downer. And I, I do think though, that, the impact that that this experience has had on me the connection i had with jesus has lasted in a way that i would never have expected prior to this i do love people so much more but i also still have this this strong desire to show them true love which means that i'm going to tell them hey this is jesus is the way he is the truth he is the life i'm i have no apologies about that and a lot of people have different views on on Jesus. Maybe they have had bad experiences growing up, or they just simply don't want to want to believe. But I'm not afraid to tell them that, that he does love them. And I, I'm not going to ever apologize for that. And that's because I do love that person. I do want them to experience that love. I don't want them to miss out on it.
0: Yeah. You told me of a warning you gave, when you die, don't go into the dark void. <laughs> Talk about that again for a second.
1: Well, I will say just from my experience, I went to the light, I saw Jesus, I felt the love. That's that's good things. The the dark void, the light and the love was not emanating from that dark void. So I would assume, just as we know in in life, you know, you have good over here and you have bad. There is a, a clear separation between the two. But that that dark void, it it felt like malice to me. It felt like like something was trying to deceive me. In order to get me to go in there, and that's not the the experience I had from the light. The light wasn't trying to deceive me. The light was open and honest about I am love, and that's that's what the light offered me. The dark void was trying to offer me a lot of things, anything that it could get me to hook onto, and it kept cycling through. And I'm glad I didn't choose to go there. I, I would say from the end result, I'd want to be with God, not with that dark void. I honestly believe the dark void is hell. I think that. Had I chose to go that way, I'd be in hell. And there was enough things I did in my life that I deserved to go to hell. Luckily, I had repented. But as I was staring at that dark void, I I often think of people maybe that never heard of Jesus, didn't have a chance to repent before they died. Maybe they're going to be standing there looking at that dark void, feeling the love of God, but not able to, to make that acknowledgement and say, this can't be it. And looking for God, actually looking for him. Because you can see in all those directions, but it's an intellectual, it's an intellectual sight. So maybe you have to say, God, I I believe you're real. I don't know how that happens, but I know his love is there and people are going to experience it. But are they going to choose to just feel that love and go into the dark void and be cut off from it? I don't know.
0: Brian, we're just got a couple minutes left. Tell uh, our listeners about your book and why you... I used a pen name and the meaning of the pen name.
1: Well, I used uh, the pen name TS Dismas. I used it because I have to admit, I'll full disclosure here, I've I had a bit of pride as a, a problem before I died. I assume it's still there. <laughs> I I think people <laughs> who know me would probably say, "Yeah, you you got a lot of confidence, buddy." You know, it's and it's not always good. It's it's sometimes I have to remember to put myself back a little bit and and remember that other people have have valid opinions as well. I I can be a very strong willed person. With that, I I think that had I used my real name, I would have been patting myself on the back all day long saying, Hey, you know, you're this great person who had this wonderful experience. God loves you so much more than everybody else. And that's not true. (laughs) God loves us all. I got to experience something so wonderful, but maybe I got to experience it because I needed that. Otherwise I would have been in the dark void maybe I'm that bad of a sinner that God had to give me something drastic. I got to remember that I'm no better than anyone else. And perhaps maybe I'm a little worse because I imagine people who would have been given this grace would have done so much greater things than I've already done. So I try to keep myself in that position. But what really drew me to the actual names that I chose was I chose St. Thomas the Apostle. People call him the, the doubting apostle, you know, doubting Thomas and But he really had strong faith. You know, when when Jesus was going to Bethany, he's the one who said, hey, I'm going to go with you. Let's go to our deaths. He wasn't afraid to go and die with Jesus. So he really loved Jesus. He really had that strong faith. But, you know, he needed to see with his own eyes. He couldn't believe what what the other apostles had told him. He's like, no way. Why would he show up to you guys? Not to me. It doesn't seem fair. God was using him for a special, special reason. Something he had to bring. That the other apostles weren't able to bring, which was actually putting his finger in, in those wounds, you know, and being able to really see Jesus in a different way. That brings it to reality for all the rest of us. So that that really struck me. Um, Saint Simon of Cyrene, I I, I really like the fact that he didn't want to carry his cross, you know, he didn't want to carry that cross with Jesus, but he ended up doing it and he became a Christian. He loved Jesus, he felt that love of an innocent man who's God and died for us he felt that so i want to be able to carry my cross and do the same thing and to really be part of that 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 experience and then of course Dismas. he's the good thief a lot of people you know forget that that that's his name or don't know that that's his name you know i had to look it up when i when i came back but i felt this strong urge to to use him as part of my as part of my pseudonym so when I looked it up, I said, well, that's a great last name, Dismas. That's wonderful. So those were the guys that I chose because, you know, St. Dismas, he's on the cross. He's ready to die. And he looks over and he says, no, this is really God. And he, he asked him to remember him in, when he went into his kingdom. And he was saved just for that, you know. And I felt like I stole heaven in the same way. like I was on my deathbed dying and repenting, and God forgave me. And he allowed me to come into heaven. So I I felt really strong to use those and, and, you know, to keep my pride in check a little bit. It's, you know, people know who I am. We're, I mean, we're using my real name here, but I, I just don't need to have, have all the glory given to me. And, you know, if I, if I can just keep that off me, that's a good thing.
0: Well, Brian, thank you so much for sharing the story of your NDE with us and telling how it changed your life. If listeners have questions, is there any way they could get in touch with you?
1: I have a YouTube channel, T.S. Dismas, and it's called The Psychology of Heaven, but you can look Brian Hoyland up too. either way. Facebook, people can get a hold of me and, you know, I'll I'll give them other ways that they can contact me too through email or something like that if it's more convenient, but they can contact me for sure. I I enjoy answering questions and, you know, it's a way that I get to share his love. Yeah,
0: And listeners can also leave comments for you where the show appears on our YouTube channel at NDE Radio with Lee Whitting. Thanks again, Brian. If listeners would like to hear the show again or any of our more than 450 archived, ad-free NDE interviews, go to Zone's NDE Radio site and hit the Pass Shows button or go to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can subscribe to and comment on the complete NDE Radio library. And be sure to check out our NDE Radio Facebook page Just search NDE Radio with Lee Whitting on your Facebook app. And listen again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern at Talk Zone for more NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening.